Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm going to be your host today. If this is your first time listening, I would love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. We're in week three of this series about the book of Jonah. We're going from the first verse to the last of this short book and trying to glean every piece of wisdom that we can. If you don't know much about Jonah, here's the basics. Jonah was a prophet who heard from God and ignored everything God said, did the opposite, and there were some major consequences. Today, we're talking about the storms of life. Life doesn't always go like we want it to. Sometimes it's our fault, sometimes somebody else's fault. And sometimes that's just how life is. Let's listen to our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison, as he unpacks this week's message about life's storms. Father, what an honor it is to be called into your presence. What an amazing thing it is to be recipients of your grace. And I pray that for the next few minutes that we will give you the attention that you deserve. Now may the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts please you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Don't forget, guys, in the back of the room right over there, there's a set of double doors. That's a prayer room. One of our elders is in that room praying for you guys right now. And if any time during the service you need someone to pray with you or for you, just make your way to the back of the room, and he'd love to do that with you. Also, if you came into our foyer, you might have noticed over in the corner of the foyer there's this big display with all these envelopes on it. I just want to... John's going to talk about it a little bit more later in the service, but I want to tell you what the idea is behind it. Uh, Our next-gen people, that's those folks who work with our kids all the way from birth up through high school. Um, We've got a real opportunity with our kids in the summers when we send our kids to various kinds of church camps or or programs that that we do. And some of these are pretty expensive, but we think they're really, really good for our kids. However, like I said, they're expensive, and they're really hard for a lot of families. We consider this a big family. We really do. Uh, kids in this family, they, they're, part of our, they're part of our family. And so we try to give everybody an opportunity to contribute. If this is that good for our kids, this is a critical time in their spiritual life. If this is that good for our kids, and we want to be a part of it. We want to give you an opportunity to help send someone else's kids to camp. Our parents will say thank you, because sometimes it gets really, really expensive. And so there are some envelopes there. If you want to participate in that, grab one of those envelopes. They've got amounts of money on them. And if you contribute to that, we're trying to make the numbers manageable for all of our families. That's the goal. Okay, here it is. Life's tough. It's one of my favorite sayings. Life is tough, right? If you're one of my kids, you've heard it a thousand times. Life's tough. When I, I think the first time I really heard about it was when I was in seminary applying for some PhD programs. Some of those are really hard to get into. And I remember getting a letter from a school rejecting me. And I was really bummed. I have a friend, believe it or not, his name is Tom Jones. That was his name. And Tom says, how come you're bummed? And I told him what had happened. And he looks at me and he says, life's tough. Let's go play ball, Patterson. And I looked at him like the jerk he was. And then I said, you're right, let's go play ball. And we did. And I kind of stole that line and I make it my own. 
So when I was a soccer coach, my soccer players used to whine like babies. I'd tell them, life's tough. My kids, like I say over and over and over again, life's tough because it's true. It's tough. I found some of these things on the internet, and, and, and they're from old guys. So if you're not an old guy, tolerate us, okay? But some of these are pretty good. Here's John Wayne. Any of you old guys remember John Wayne? All right, this is great. Life is tough. It's even tougher when you're stupid. I like that, okay? I think that makes a lot of sense. And if you're really, really old, you might remember a lady named Katherine Hepburn, right? Here's what she said. She says, life is hard. After all, it does kill you, all right? That's kind of funny. George Carlin, a comedian, old comedian, he put it like this. He said, life is tough, then you die. And he's right. I, I actually kind of like the way Susan Sarandon put it. She's not quite so old. She said, if you're upset with how you look at 25, life's really going to be tough. All right? <laughs> you like that? I mean, that, that works, right? There's wisdom in that. And here's Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash was old even when he was young, right? Here's Johnny Cash. He said, life is rough, so you got to be tough. You can make a country song out of that one, I'm pretty sure. Now, I found one other one. This is from a, a lady who's a little bit younger. She's actually a poet named Alpha from Louisville, and it's pretty good. Here's what she said. She said, she's been through more hell than you'll ever know, but that's what gives her beauty and edge. You can't touch a woman who can wear pain like the grandest of diamonds around her neck. That's pretty good, isn't it? I like that. Bottom line, guys, life is tough a lot. You get sick. Sometimes you get really, really sick. Life's tough. We break things. We break these bodies. These bodies are pretty tough, but they're breakable. But the times that are physically the toughest are not necessarily the toughest times we go through. A friend dies, a parent dies, a kid dies, or there's betrayal, and a friendship dies, or a marriage dies. It's tough. You're bullied, or worse than that, your kid is bullied. You're the reputation is sullied or tainted or destroyed. It's hard. You're abused physically, sexually, emotionally. Or maybe it's a failure. We've all gone through failures. They're hard. Fail a class, fired at a job, fail to reach some goal, some dream. Maybe it's just some destructive addic addiction and life is tough. Bottom line, I don't care who you are, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, life's tough. You've been there, felt that. And that can make life quite confusing because why? Why does it have to be so tough? Especially if you believe in an all-powerful, all-good, all-loving God. And you're trying to play by the rules for the most part, right? I mean, seriously, if there's a good, powerful, loving God, why does life have to be so hard, especially for those who are God followers, Jesus followers? Is it God's fault? At the least, it seems like he's allowing your life to be tough. At the worst, it's kind of like he's causing your life to be tough. See, you hear stuff like this a lot. Well, God has to have a plan. God has to have a reason. Everything happens for a reason, Right? Found a couple of picks. Here's two of them. Give thanks to God for whatever happens in life because nothing's a mistake. Really? I think that's poppycock. Look at the next one. Whatever happens in my life happens with the wish of God. Happens for my God, happens for my 
progress. Poppycock. But then you go back and you read verses in the Bible like Jonah 1.4 and you wonder whether that's what the Bible teaches. Here's how the book of Jonah, we're studying the book of Jonah right now. Here's how the book opens. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it. Its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah instead ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish, which is the opposite direction. He went to Joppa, which is a seaport, found a ship bound for Tarshish, Paid the fare, got on board, sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, that's the setup. Here's the verse, right here, verse 4. Then the Lord sent, God sent, God caused a great storm on the sea. God sent a storm. And such a violent storm that the ship threatened to break up. God did that. God did it that time. Caused that storm. But guys... It is virtually blasphemy to blame all of our storms on God. God did not program in advance everything that's going to happen in this world. God does not cause evil. God does not choreograph sin. He gives us the right to choose right and wrong. When we choose badly, when we choose against the will of God, people get hurt. We get hurt. You start thinking about it, actually there are several different reasons that you're going to have trouble that in this world, that life is tough. Here's number one. We live in a broken world. Things in this world are not as God intended. Sometimes life is tough because we live in a broken world. That coronavirus right now that's spreading around our world, people that get it, people who die, they're not being punished by God for some sin. They live in a broken world. Bodies get sick. These bodies die. These bodies break. Your car hydroplanes on black ice. Sometimes that's no one's fault. God didn't do that. Sometimes life's just tough. I battle skin cancer because I, and here's the, I mean, I, I baked in the sun as a kid without using sunscreen because we didn't really use it back then, right? And I'm paying for it now. That wasn't sinful, it's just stupid. Now it's a nuisance. God doesn't give me skin cancer. This church was torn down by a tornado, 1974. Absolutely devastated this place. Massive wildfires in Australia. God's not some cosmic arsonist. Floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, they're part of living in a broken world. So sometimes life is tough because we live in a broken world. But Two, sometimes life is tough because someone else sins. Sometimes we hurt because someone else sins. You've been there. There are people in your life that have made your life tough. You buy that? Maybe you had an abnormally bad parent. And all of us parents are bad, but maybe you had an abnormally bad parent who abused you in some way, physically, sexually, emotionally. Maybe you had a friend who actually betrayed you or an enemy who bullied you or a colleague who undermined you. And I'll bet you've experienced all three of those. Maybe some drunk ran into your car, some addict robbed you. Several years ago, a guy from this church family was going home at lunch to check on some new kittens. Two guys were at his house robbing the place. 
They brutalized him and murdered him. God didn't cause that. Evil did. That was a violation of the will of God. Sometimes it's uh, life is tough because we live in a broken world. Sometimes life is tough because people around us sin. Sometimes my life is tough because I sin. Sometimes your life is tough because you sin. And here's the deal. Every sin drags a storm behind it. Maybe you're the one who struggles with some addiction like porn or alcohol or some illegal drug or maybe even some legal painkiller. And when you're ruthlessly honest, which is hard for us to do, you recognize how it messes up your life and also the lives of those around you. You're making your life tough. Maybe you're the one who's been unfaithful in a relationship and you have felt the pain of that unfaithfulness eventually. And certainly those around you have. The storm is on you. Maybe you have self-control issues. Spend too much, eat too much, talk too much. And in those things you make life tough for those around you and yourself. You can admit that. Maybe you have anger issues. Maybe you're just mean. And it makes your life tough. Can you buy that? Can you own that? So here's Jonah. And Jonah's on a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and an unnaturally fierce storm blows in, just like that. Now, they were pretty good with boats back then, but when you're on a smallish boat in the middle of a fierce storm, it's terrifying. This boat is threatening to capsize. There's no help around. The crew goes from sailoring to praying. It's time to get ready to meet your maker. And this is one of those times that God did it. This storm isn't just a product of living in a broken world. God sent the storm. Now, if you're one of the sailors, your life has become tough because someone near you sinned. If you're Jonah, your life has become tough because you sinned. You've been on both sides of that equation, I bet. Now, here's the deal. Here's the big idea that I want you to catch. Your life is not tough just because you sin. But every time you sin, your life's going to get tough. It's going to get tough for you, and it's probably going to get tough for someone else too. Tim Keller, he's a great teacher, preacher, preaches up in New York, wrote this little book, Prodigal Prophet. We've got copies of that book in our connections room if you want to get a copy and follow along because we're going to draw a lot of the ideas in this series from Keller's book. He says every act of disobedience to God, every act of disobedience has a storm attached to it. And then he says this, the Bible doesn't say that every difficulty is the result of sin, and it doesn't. But it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. Do you believe that? Every sin drags trouble behind it, eventually. Every sin will eventually mess your life up and probably the lives of some people around you. Do you know why? You know why sin makes life tough? Well, put it this way. Did you ever use something in a way that it was not intended? Did you ever buy something and use it against the instructions in the user's manual, against its design? You ever break anything that way? 
I had to replace my Ridgeline. I love my old truck. And so I have a Dodge Ram now, okay? It's my farm truck. Now, according to the manual, it tells me that I'm supposed to change the oil on that thing about every 3,000 miles or so. I think it's a scam. I think they just want money. So I'm going to change my oil about every 20,000 miles. <laughs> That's going to work for a while, isn't it? Is that going to work? I know doctors that can be all persnickety. They tell me to take these pills twice a day. But my doctor's kind of a wuss. I want relief now. So I'm going to double it. I'm going to take four pills. And I'm going to take it through the day. And I'm going to feel better, maybe, for a little while. Right? Here's the idea. You can't mistreat your body and expect good health. Does that make sense? You can't eat too much, drink too much, sleep too little, and exercise too little without looking like this, right? Doesn't work. You can't expect people, you can't treat people poorly and expect good relationships. You can't diss your wife and diss your friends and diss your boss and then sit back and wonder why your marriage is struggling and your friends are bailing and your job is floundering. You can't be self-centered and rude and expect a church, a town, a nation to be peaceful and prosperous. Look at the news and you'll see evidence of that. Well, here it is. When we violate our design, when we violate our God-given purposes, life gets tough. When we violate our Creator's rule book, and He has given us one, we cannot expect life to go well. We were built by God to love Him first and then to love each other. We were built by God to serve Him first and then to serve each other. And if you try to do life any other way, life's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for you and the people around you too. Now sometimes the storm caused by your sin will be immediate and catastrophic. Right? Jonah jumps in this boat. He heads away from God. Doesn't get very far before God sends this storm, which stops him in his tracks. She gets drunk, hits somebody head on. Consequences are immediate and catastrophic. He flies into a rage, balls up his fists, maybe grabs a gun. Life gets really, really tough, immediately and catastrophically. He overdoses. And it's over for him, not for his family. Immediate and catastrophic. More often, however, most often, sin kind of works like radiation. You don't feel too much at first. Seems fine at first. Few guys might have you been around here for a few months, you might remember that my face looked really, really bad a few months ago, right? Because I was using this cream on my face to treat skin cancer. And I can tell you for the first week or so, it felt pretty good. I mean, it's just a nice cream. You smear it on your face. It's smooth. It's cool. Kind of pleasant. A few weeks later, my face was a mess, and I hurt. That stuff hurts. Sin's like that. It feels good at first. You tell a lie, and it works at first. You don't see the damage that it's doing to your character and to their trust. Flirtations lead to sex. The sex is magnificent at first. It's all good. 
till your wife finds out and your kids find out and your parents find out and eventually you have this face-to-face with God. Storm is coming. Bottom line, I don't know if you ever looked at it this way, but bottom line, sin is essentially suicidal. Maybe not in the moment. In the moment, it may seem right and good, but every single sin drags trouble behind it eventually. Every sin will destroy you eventually. But it's hard because sin is kind of like this addictive drug. In the moment, it feels good. Then there's the shame. And then it feels good again. And then maybe a little less shame. And pulls you back and you do it again. And you get better and better at minimizing the shame. And all the while it is searing your conscience and corrupting your heart and undermining your relationships and driving a wedge between you and God, diminishing your hope and stealing your joy. Right? Which would be bad enough if your sin was only messing you up. But sin splatters. It always splatters. My sin splatters on you. and Your sin splatters on me. Have you ever noticed how our sin affects each other? Have you ever noticed that maybe you struggle with some of the same sins your parents struggled with? We all do. Some way. Maybe your parents were kind of angry and they yelled a lot and you find out you do too. Maybe you were unfaithful. They were unfaithful to each other and statistics tell us that you're more likely to be the same. Or have you noticed that you struggle with some of the same sins as those you hang out with, your friends? You pull them into your sins and they pull you into their sins and even if they don't pull you in, their selfishness, their meanness or their lack of self-control will eventually splatter on you, hurt you, because sin splatters. Isn't this a great sermon? You just came in here, I'm just throwing a wet blanket over everybody, aren't I? I'm sorry about that, kind of a little, maybe just a tiny little bit, but life's tough. So let's do a real quick review of where we've been before we move on. It's virtually blasphemy to blame all of your storms on God. God doesn't cause evil. God doesn't choreograph sin. Sometimes life is tough because we live in a broken world. Sometimes life is tough because people around us sin. Sometimes my life is tough because I sin. Same with you. But even though the Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, it does teach that every sin, every sin will bring you into difficulty. You know why? Because you can't violate your God-created design or your God-given purposes without life getting tough. If you break the user's manual, it's not going to go well. So, all sin is fundamentally suicidal. Sometimes the consequences of sin are sudden and catastrophic. Other times they're slow-acting, but they're just as devastating. Finally, Sin splatters. My sin splatters on you and your sin splatters on me and you've been on both sides of that equation, right? So, let's get back to the Jonah story. Jonah is told by God to go east and preach to the city of Nineveh. Jonah thinks God is out of his mind, so he gets on a boat and goes the opposite direction, west towards Tarshish. So, listen, listen. 
If you were God, what would you have done? What would you have done if you were God? What would you have done if one of your servants had just simply refused an assignment? If you were God and one of your kids ran away from an assignment that you assigned, what would you do? Would it have been better for God, better than sending a storm, would it have been better for God simply to let him go, be merciful, right? Would it be more loving just to let him go? Would that have been better for Jonah? Would it have been better for the Ninevites? Would it have been better for the Ninevites for God to have found someone else to go? Someone a little braver than Jonah, someone who is a little less hateful than Jonah. Would that have been better for Jonah? Would that have been better for the Ninevites? Or think about it this way. What if you were Jonah? And God gave you an assignment that you just simply didn't want to do. You send someone else, God. I'm not going to do it. This one isn't in my wheelhouse. This one isn't in my heart. Or maybe you're just scared. Or maybe you just flat out think God is wrong. You think God is off his rocker. God, I'm not going to do it. These people do not deserve your grace. These people deserve hell. I'm not going. All right? So if you were Jonah, would you go? If God needed someone to go to a dangerous place, which Nineveh was, to minister to a damaged people who are not likely to be receptive to anything that you say, would you go? Would you go? I was asked last week if I knew of a young couple who would move to Bosnia and work with a small church there. The city was bombed incessantly during the Serbian-Bosnian War in the 90s. Most all of the men were killed. They were either killed in battle, they were taken alive as prisoners, and taken out and shot in front of their families. The church is made up of just a few people who are survivors. Widows, mothers, children of those men, and they're troubled. If God nudged you, would you go? God sends this storm, and it's a ferocious storm, kind of a come-to-Jesus storm for Jonah and all the rest of the guys on the boat, and they're terrified, so they start tossing cargo overboard to lighten the boat so it's not as prone to go under. Have you ever encountered, have you ever encountered a storm that you think might have been sent by God for you, maybe to turn you around? Maybe never one this ferocious. I think most of the time, God doesn't send storms. He spends, sends these kind of speed bumps, these little roadblocks in our way. It's kind of like God sometimes tries to block our path to make us pause, to make us think again when we're on our way to sin. Now, rarely are God's roadblocks impenetrable for now. God won't force himself on us yet. Maybe you got in your car sometime. Maybe something like this happened to you. You got into your car and you were intending to go somewhere to do something wrong. And you had car trouble. Ever happened to you? Happened to me once, I think. Randy tells me one of his pastors on his staff when he was younger, a guy named Donnie. Donnie was on his way to buy some drugs when his car broke down. Now, it's never convenient when your car breaks down, but... By the time he got able to get his car going, the dealer had moved his batch of drugs along. Donnie wonders till today whether God tweaked his car. 
Maybe you made up your mind to do something wrong, but before you could act on your nefarious plan, you got a phone call that kind of rattled your cage. Maybe you were heading down some path towards sin and you had an encounter with somebody that just seemed like he was stationed there by God. Didn't stop you, but he gave you pause. Maybe pricked your conscience. Maybe you were reading the Bible and some verse just jumped off the page or you were in church and it seemed like God just punched you in the face. He does that sometimes. Or maybe it wasn't so brutal. Maybe it was a simple loving touch or a hug or a smile and it just took you aback. God has been called the hound of heaven because he chases after us even when we're planning to sin because he loves us. So he coaxes and he cajoles and he nudges because he loves us. So sometimes he sends a storm, sometimes he sends a roadblock or at the very least, he uses these storms and these roadblocks to try to turn us around, to shape us, and maybe to save someone else. I'll bet when you look back, you can look at some of the toughest times in your life, and you might be able to find a time or two when God used that tough time to turn you around, to grow you up, to make you stronger, to use you. God does some of his best work in the middle of a storm if you let him. Sometimes God's storms are more like interventions than they are punishments. And what if? What if God took you through a storm not to necessarily fix you but to save somebody else that was watching you or around you? Would it be worth it to go through a storm to help somebody else? Would it be worth it to crash and burn if it kept your kids from crashing and burning? It's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, these sailors are on this boat with Jonah. And through this storm, they end up seeing the real God, acknowledging the real God, giving honor to the real God. How cool is that? Would it be worth it for God to take you through a storm for something like that? So, it's going to be storms. You're going to go through tough times. That's a fact. Storms create messes. That's a fact. Bad things happen to good people. That's a fact. I want to wrap this thing up with just one more approach to this, which is a little different. I stole it. I steal most good ideas. I don't have many. But I stole this one from Andy Stanley. He's a smart guy. He opens up with this. He says, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Why would he, Right? For some of you guys, this is the kind of a question that marked the end of your faith in God or that's racked you with doubt about God. But what's interesting about this question is that whenever we ask it, and we all ask it at times, we ask it focusing on the bad out there and not on the bad in here. So here's a follow-up question. You ready? Have you ever done anything bad? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because if you don't raise your hand, you're just going to make yourself a liar in church, and that's bad, right? All right? Have you ever done anything bad? Hmm, of course. So maybe we should rephrase this question. You ready? How could a good God ever allow you to happen? Why would a good God allow you to happen? It's the same question, isn't it? But you never looked at it like that. 
And if the disciples were here with us, if Peter or James or John were here with us today, they might kind of try to slow us down before you went off a cliff or something. Peter might say, hold on, guys. I saw something that might help you with this question. I saw God in a body coexist with evil men. I saw God in a body coexist with evil men. I saw God in a body pursue evil men. The God I saw in a body didn't prove he was God by eliminating evil. He was God by doing something else. He loved me anyway and went to work eliminating the evil inside of me. John might add this. He said, I I know this is a big emotional question. I'm not sure I can sort through it all for you, but I saw a perfectly good God, and I saw horrendous evil, and they can coexist, but it's nothing like you imagine. He came to redeem us. Our God is not silent. Our God is not indifferent. Guys, life is tough. In fact, it's quite possible that some of you guys right here, right now, are going through some pretty terrible storms. And some of you are kind of like, I don't see how anything good can come out of what I'm going through. But there's a God. And He's powerful, and He's good, and He is loving. We believe in a God who goes before us to head us off. We believe in a God who meets us in the middle of that storm. We believe in a God who works to save the innocent from the storms that we create. We believe in the God who redeems damaged goods and makes mosaics out of people like us, mosaics that are amazingly beautiful. You're surrounded right now. Right now you are surrounded by people who have survived storms and still love their God. You're surrounded by people who have been changed in the middle of those storms by our loving God. I'm one of them. You're surrounded by people who've been saved because someone else went through a storm. They're sitting near you. We trust the God who was silent when sometimes we think he shouldn't be because he's still good and he's so wise and he's so loving and he's there. And we believe that God in his own way, in his own time, is doing his work. We've seen it. We're products of that. Are you? Life's tough, huh? It's okay. Life's good too. We've got a good God. Now here's one of the problems that sometimes happens at church. You come and you hear something in the scripture, you hear some truth, and God nudges on you, and you say, yeah, that's good. I had a spiritual experience. And you turn around and walk out this door, and nothing changes. Guys, when nudges on you, God nudges on you, don't push back. If he encourages you to do something, do it. You never win by pushing back on God. Some of you guys here may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where real life starts. And if God has nudged you this morning about making Jesus Christ the king of your life, respond to him, guys. Respond to him. Two different ways you can do that, right? There's a card in front of you. It's blue. It's a decision card. If you put down your name and some kind of contact information, we'll come find you and we'll talk about making Jesus Christ the king of your life. Okay? Fill out that card. Give it to anybody with one of those red badges. Find some staff member. 
hand it to them and they'll get it to us and we'll contact you. Or before you leave this room, I'm going to hang around down at the front. We've got elders around, staff around. We'd love to talk to you. Slip back to that prayer room. Talk to an elder who's back there. Let's talk about making Jesus the Lord of your life. It may be that you're going through a storm and you just need to tell God you're going to trust him. You may need to pray with your God and just reaffirm your faith in him. And just one other piece, it may be that, you know, some of you guys are drifting. You drift from church to church to church. If it's not Capital City, find some church and make it your home. You need a home. You need a church home. If you want to talk about making Capital City your home, come and grab one of us. We'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray together. Father, for your grace, it stuns us, and we're so grateful. For your challenges, we're grateful because you never challenge us to make life worse. You make challenges to make life what you meant it to be and to give us an eternal hope. This church family, we give you thanks. We pray that you'll be honored by how we respond to you today. In the name of Christ, we pray.